And then we just come to this realization that, wow, I, I'm still not there yet. But the good news is that's okay. And furthermore, we have a God who once again became nothing so that we could participate in his everything. Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Pat Millay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader, and I'm happy to bring you this podcast along with my bride, Kenna, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the stuff she and I talk about all the time, doing dishes, in the car, on a date. We're excited to bring you this podcast for educational purposes. It's not therapy or a substitute for mental health care. So come on in, have a seat at our dining room table, and join the conversation with us. We are so glad you're here. Welcome back, everyone, to This Whole Life. We are seeking sanity and sanctity one glorious episode at a time. And today we have the wonderful and amazing opportunity to spend a little time with Paul J. Kim, our good guest. Uh, You may have uh, come across Paul J. Kim in his ministry before. He's an international Catholic speaker, musician, comedian, beatboxer. Uh, He's encountered folks all over the country, all over the world. He has a bunch of uh, viral videos on Instagram and online, and uh, he's done a bunch of amazing work with youth and adults alike. Uh, He now lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and his five children. And uh, we're excited for you to get to know him a little bit better. Paul, welcome to This Whole Life. Good to talk to you, man. Thank you very much. Good to be here. How's it going? You uh, uh, living the life, living the dream family-wise, ministry-wise lately? I mean, I have no complaints, but yeah, I still do complain some sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end uh, of the day, do I have uh, more things to be thankful for? 100%. So um, yeah, just you know, in the thick of... Being a parent of young children who are very needy all the time, (laughs) and then simultaneously, you know, going through the gauntlet of trying to be made whole and holy in my own life, right? And that's a struggle, I think, for for any of us who really care. (laughs) I'm presuming that people are listening to this podcast because that's what they're trying to accomplish themselves. So... Uh, yeah, I'm just in the battle just like everybody else, but I'm trying to do it better than I did the day before and even the morning of. (laughs) Amen, brother. Yeah. Some, someday off the microphone, you and I could have some long conversations about fatherhood in the midst of toddler years because it is, uh, battlefield is the right word that you use there sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it is, man. Well, uh, we love to poop field. <laughs> That's even more accurate and more yeah, uh, yeah. visceral of a description, I would say. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, we, uh, we always love starting off these episodes with a high and a hard lately. Um, as our good guest, Paul, do you mind starting us off with a high and a hard from your life? A high and a hard. Well, um, you know, I just, I just got off a trip. I was in Omaha, Nebraska for a few days. And there's this group of Knights of Columbus out there who who have a pretty cool mission. Uh, every two years, they bring in a speaker, and they just want them to preach on chastity. They want them to talk to youth, young adults, 
and parents. And that's what I did. And so the guy called me up and he's like, Hey, we want you to give anywhere from seven to 10 talks about chastity. I'm like, so you're trying to kill me? (laughs) He's like, uh, well, no, but I'm like, okay, let me think about this. All right, I'm going to do it. And so I came into this past week with a little bit of angst because I, I typically don't give that many talks in, uh, in rapid, uh, formation there. And I don't talk about chastity that much in the big uh, scheme of things. Like I I give a lot of evangelization, outreach, just preaching the gospel. Um, But chastity, I don't get the chance to to talk about as much as, as much as I would like. And so I went into this week feeling a little bit uh, uncertain of myself, but that's always a great opportunity Mm -hmm. to trust more in God. And that's what I did. And thanks be to God, it was a fruitful week. Uh, I got a lot of practice in my talk, so I feel much more comfortable giving it. But then um, also to see some of the fruits and to see some of the the audiences and how things clicked in their minds and their hearts and the Holy Spirit was there to do the rest. So that was a, mm-hmm. a high. A hard was coming back home and changing gears, <laughs> as it usually is, you know, as husband and dad and the sole provider of my family. Um, when I'm out in the road, you know, I'm, I'm laser focused. I'm out there working, I'm serving. I'm like, okay, I'm going out. I'm, I'm, I'm killing the meat and I'm dragging it home. You know, I'm not killing anybody. <laughs> that was a terrible analogy. Anyways, I'm safe environment trained also. Okay. Don't worry about it. Um, but when I come home, then it's like, I can't, I don't have the luxury of being like, well, yeah, let me just kick my legs up because I worked real hard this week. You know, it's uh, my wife's been working really hard. She's been at home, you know, keeping things sane and running and kids fed and happy. And, um, you know, there's this great little uh, meme I saw online. And I guess it was of uh, George Lucas when he was filming the first three Star Wars movies or the, the three that precede the OG ones in the 70s and 80s, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. so, so episode one, two, and three, which essentially were garbage, but I don't want to get too controversial here. <laughs> so there's a meme of George Lucas with Darth Vader before he put the suit on. So his face is all melted because he got, spoiler alert, you know, lavaed. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so his face looks charred. And it's funny because this picture is of the director, George Lucas, talking to the person in makeup, but his face is all like terrible. And so the meme is... The husband, when he comes home and tells the wife how great his trip was for work. (laughs) I feel that very intensely. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, there's that. But then there's also just me shifting gears of, oh my gosh, like three days away from my kids and I forgot how to parent already, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this week has been challenging in terms of just jumping back in. learning how to practice that virtue of patience or, or fail at it. Um, but continue on and, and try to, you know, every day, every day is a new challenge. And, uh, so that would be a a hard, but you know, that's a daily thing. (laughs) So right. Right. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Oh, I hear that. My my high and hard are actually really similar to that. Um, maybe coincidentally, maybe not. But um, I uh, two weeks ago now uh, was invited to go speak in Bismarck, North Dakota, at uh, Catholic school there, um, St. Mary's, and 
Uh, it's an event they have called The Rock on a Wednesday night. And part of me going in, just being a former youth minister myself, I had a very uh, kind of flawed amount of skepticism about this whole thing before I knew kind of the full story. Um, because it's on a Wednesday night for Catholic school kids. And my experience of having, of being a former Catholic school student is, wait a second, you're going to have, you're going to ask kids to come on their free time on a Wednesday night back to school for a talk, adoration, confession, and then they're going to play some dodgeball and that's going to work. You, you want, people are going to come to that, right? And uh, so I went, I got to tour this amazing school that one of my buddies teaches at now. They have this beautiful chapel that literally the, the, the supporters of it are huge Notre Dame fans. So they built a literal golden dome on top of the chapel of the school that you can see from like three miles away. So I felt very much at home and it made me very happy. Um, nice. But it was really beautiful. It was amazing. They, they had a great core of seniors that kind of, act as their assistant chaplains and they take the lead on this event there there was bad weather which will lead to my heart in a moment um there was bad <laughs> weather and even with the bad weather there were probably i don't know 80 or 100 high schoolers that came on a wednesday night when they didn't have to there's no confirmation requirement tied to this you know and uh it was just a beautiful opportunity literally i think almost every kid that i saw went to confession over the course of you know, 45 minutes or so during adoration um, after the talk. It was just, it was a really beautiful introduction to this community to see the way the spirit's alive and working in the students themselves, that they're not jaded just because religion is part of their education. It was really, it was really beautiful. And then North Dakota decided to North Dakota, which meant oh, yeah. that it started snowing at like midnight after <laughs> the talk, right? And nice. it didn't stop until Friday morning. So my cute little Thursday flight did not happen. We literally oh, got no. on the plane. They tried to get us off the runway and they just oh, couldn't do it. Bummer. So my hard then was uh, Thursday evening sitting alone in a Bismarck hotel with literally you being on the road a lot, Paul can appreciate this. Not a <sighs> single place was open to feed me dinner that night not a not a taco bell <laughs> not the mcdonald's a block away the target across the street was closed so i sat right. in my hotel room hungry and lonely and wondering why god called me to this particular <laughs> place <laughs> so it was total first world problem like i was in a hotel yeah. i was safe i can fast for right. one night and it's fine right, but right, 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 right. it was just i would have liked to have been home and like you said coming home after uh, Kenna was be forced to take care of our seven kids on her own and maneuver a bunch of childcare things was a little bit tricky, but, uh, she right, was amazing. Right. Like she always is. And it was good to get home. So yeah, it was beautiful, hard, but hard, but valuable for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us, man. Appreciate that. So, yeah, um, totally. One of the great blessings of our past few months since uh, starting up this podcast and this business that Kenna and I have gotten into for the integration of uh, mental health and faith was getting to meet you after you came and spoke at our kids' school up here in St. Paul. Um, had a great uh, lunch over uh, Korean food on the Feast of the Korean Martyrs, and uh, it was <laughs> just right. a, was nice. a beautiful day. Um, so I, I know that we talked a little bit back then, um, but you know, before you before God gave you this call to, to speak and to evangelize and to travel full-time for the sake of the, the gospel, um, you, my understanding is that you had some education and training in marriage and family therapy. What, what led you to that, to that passion or to that uh, pursuit of education at the time? Yeah, so 
after uh, a somewhat radical conversion in college, where I essentially unsubscribed from a life of hedonism, uh, <laughs> I decided, you know what? As much as the girls are pretty, I want Jesus. And so I was uh, just going headlong into discerning or a potential vocation to the priesthood and religious life. And so mm-hmm. I, uh, when I graduated, I joined the, the CFRs, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, which are a great community of religious priests and brothers based out of New York, but they're international in a couple different countries now. And so I discerned for about three and a half years um, in New York City with the CFRs. Great time in my life. I got to see some of the, I got to frankly live amongst some of the holiest men I've had the privilege of knowing. And one of them, his mm-hmm. name was Father Benedict Grishel, who is a bit of a legend in the American church. He had a doctorate in psychology, great sense of humor, you know, super bright, super intelligent, but just an amazing priest, uh, an amazing shepherd. And he was able yeah. to really integrate psychology into his work as a priest. So um, his deal with the Archdiocese of New York, I believe, even when he helped to found the order, was that if you want to do this, you still have to live at the retreat center and uh, work with um, folks who are coming in for counseling, as well as mm. priests who needed um, some real help because of different issues in their lives or vocations. Right. And so as I got to know him, you know, he befriended me, became like a, a spiritual grandfather, for lack of better terms. And I just really appreciated his ability to see the whole person as he ministered to them. And so naturally, when I discerned out, uh, I was talking to Father Benedict and, you know, he, he basically telling me, you know, have a game plan when you you decide to leave. And so my my thought initially was, you know what, I've benefited from counseling I've benefited from seeing folks like him uh, do such a great job pastorally. So I'm like, hey, why not consider getting a degree in marriage and family therapy? So I left the community. I went back home and I accrued tens of thousands of dollars in debt to find out that people (laughs) have issues in life. (laughs) Fantastic. And so I got my Super valuable. Thanks, guys. Yeah, super valuable. Yeah, people are messed up. They need healing, and I'm going to pay for that. So, no, it's, it was actually really good. It was a good time of formation also, just intellectually, um, obviously learning a lot of um, helpful things about the human experience, um, learning, obviously, skill sets that would help me become a therapist, and frankly, doing some of the, 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 the messy work inside of my own life as we studied this stuff. Sure. So they'd encourage us to go to counseling and, and continue working on things so that we would understand what the uh, client experience was from the other, the receiving end, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I got my degree, I started my internship, and I started doing my counseling sessions with individuals, couples, families. And I ran into a bit of an issue, and the issue was this, uh-oh, I don't like listening to people's problems all day. What have I done? <laughs> now, I hear that is one requirement of the job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I thought I had that down on lock, but apparently it wasn't as clear to me. I had been duped. No, but uh, now here's the thing. I think, I think it's incredibly important, the work of therapists and, and counseling. And, um, you know, I've personally benefited from going to counseling. Uh, so there's certainly no... Uh, 
there's no downplaying that. But I know for myself, when I was in that environment, it wasn't the best fit. It didn't set my heart alive. And and so I kind of had to bounce from there to now, thanks be to God, a door that God opened for me to do full-time ministry. And so that's a whole nother story. But that's essentially how I got involved into the wonderful world of counseling, psychology, therapy. Um, and like I said, I, I have nothing but positive things to say about it unless I am the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the words of a man who has been truthfully uh, called in a different direction, right? I, I just love there that. There it is. I love, yeah. I love the nuance of being able to see like the value of this thing, this, this career, this calling, this ministry of counseling, therapy, mental health support. And also, that is not my call. That is other people's call. You know, that's that's a yeah. really beautiful dichotomy to be able to hold, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We um, one of our uh, regular guests on the podcast, Father Nathan LaLiberté up here in the Twin Cities, uh, he referenced Father Benedict um, a few episodes ago and just his his great kind of spiritual wisdom and holiness on one hand, but kind of being mm-hmm. a psychological genius on the other hand and just the the rare blend that it is for someone to, to understand the human person so deeply in in the blessings and the the weaknesses and also to to be able to provide the spiritual remedy for so many of those shortcomings it's just a, what a what a beautiful opportunity to be mentored by kind of a spiritual giant like that yeah he was a real gift to the church and so i think he just had a he had a great way about him great sense of humor great storyteller um he was just a legend of a priest so yeah really yeah. honored to know yeah hmm I'm curious, I guess, Paul, um, even though, you know, you, you, you paid a lot of money to just be confirmed of the fact that the fall is real, uh, even mm-hmm. with the, with being called in a different direction, are there ways that your, that your education, your training in psychology, therapy, are there ways that that influences your life now, whether it's your own, your own family life, your own relationships, or your ministry as an evangelist, a speaker, a musician? Are there ways that you still draw from that well occasionally now? Yeah, definitely. I think yes to everything you had just mentioned there. Obviously, um, you know, as we were studying the material, learning the content, learning the skill sets, I mean, it was a lot of wonderful nuggets of wisdom that allowed me to integrate these academic revelations, if you will, (laughs) into my own personal life. Oh, gosh, yeah, I should keep an eye on that. Or yeah, these are some, um, you know, issues from my childhood, my past, or these are some things that behaviorally, like I need to keep an eye on or wow, in relationships or interactions with just about anyone, it's good to keep an eye on these sorts of dynamics. Um, and now being a husband, obviously, um, I learned a lot about (laughs) just from the basics of don't say this, it will end badly every time to, do these things and it will help nourish a wonderful, healthy, life-giving marriage, you know, of love and trust and you name it. Um, yeah. And then yeah. also just the realities of being a parent. So all of it comes into play. Also in ministry, I get to integrate it quite a bit when I'm working with people. <laughs> 2020 mm-hmm. was weird because mm-hmm. of, you know, all things COVID related and, you know, I'm ministering primarily on Zoom. But you're, at right. the end of the day, even then, I was still ministering to people. Thanks be to God, everything's back to normal. But when you work with a person, in some sense, the algorithm is all kind of the same, right? 
The stories are all a little bit different, but the fundamental needs, desires, wants are all the same. You want to love and be loved. We're all wrestling with sin. We're all wrestling with brokenness. We're all wrestling with imperfect families and upbringings. We're wrestling with the reality that we live in a fallen world. And we experience some of that fallenness in ourselves, right? Through mm-hmm. the stain mm-hmm. of original sin, I mean, through the effects of original sin, rather, hopefully remedied by baptism, but still, we ain't dead yet. <laughs> so right. the, ba- the battle <laughs> continues. So when I'm giving uh, certain talks, at times I'll integrate my background in marriage and family therapy. I'll give talks about family of origin and how that kind of links its way into our understanding of God and some of the the trials that people go through, even not even not even realizing how much their family can one influence their perception of God and faith. Um, and and some of that comes from personal experience because I'm like, whoa, yeah, I I'm putting two and two together here, and it makes a lot of sense. But the hard work for every one of us is unpacking or checking in rather the baggage that we carry through life. Right, each of sure. us. Sure. Carries it. And so, yeah, the truth is, even as a quote unquote Catholic speaker, someone who ministers to others, uh, it's just one sinner ministering to another <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I find so, that so interesting. The, uh, that, that again, kind of dichotomy, it sounds like you're bringing out that, um, you know, on one hand, um, even though people's specific circumstances may be different, that the the needs, the desires, the longings of the human heart are always the same and will always be the same because we're made for God and we will will be happy with nothing less than God. And on the other hand, um, a lot of times it sounds like you're able to maybe hold up in front of people things about themselves that they haven't even realized or maybe they've never even um, done the work of looking at before, you know, um, of holding up ways that they need God's grace where they didn't even perceive a wound in the first place that they, they hadn't given a lot of thought to their family of origin or to some formative experience in childhood or in middle school or something like that is, is that what I'm hearing you say is kind of helping people to understand the ways that God's grace is needed in their lives, even if they don't see those those holes quite yet? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think everyone's on a journey, and some people, you know, when you, when you talk about uh, IQ, right, it, it's purely on an academic basis. The irony, of course, mm-hmm. is some of the most brilliant people have, like, severe disorders, you know, mentally or even socially, <laughs> which is a bit of a enigma or mystery in and of itself, right? Someone who is just so incredibly gifted in one sense is so limited in another. And I think ultimately that speaks to the reality that there's only one God and we are not him. Um, And it keeps us humble and honest. But when it comes to IQ in terms of an intellectual sort, like, yeah, I think most people will score somewhere depending on obviously their their talents, innate talents, their their achievements. But then I believe there are other IQ scores in life that maybe aren't even factored into that kind of testing. And one of them would be maturity in one's interior life. You know, we have a spiritual interior life, but we also have a psychological interior life. You know, uh, sometimes I give this joke during one of my talks. I say, you know, when we throw out our back, we go to the chiropractor. 
when we feel unhealthy, we feel medical symptoms come on, we, we go to the doctor. When we have deep-rooted emotional and psychological wounds, we go to the bar and drink, and we shop on Amazon. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. and the case in point is like, what's ironic about some of the formational aspects of Western education, especially in America, is that, yeah, we go to school, we learn subjects, sometimes more beneficial than others. But when it comes to some of the most important fundamental aspects of life as we know it, especially in the adult life, is, okay, our emotions, how do we manage them, our psychology, our thoughts, our feelings, our relationships, what sets us up for healthy relationships with others interpersonally, but also even in our own heads. So I feel like that's lacking in a lot of ways. Obviously, in our culture today, there's a lot of that buzzword of mental health being thrown around. And I think that's a good thing uh, because people are realizing that something's not working, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that could be a whole another conversation as to why things aren't working. But it at least brings up the conversation of, wow, yeah, people are feeling severely depressed. How do we deal with that? Has anyone ever taught them how to deal with that? If not, then what were they coping with? Right. We all experience various levels of trauma. I mean, we can talk about capital T or, or lowercase t, but <laughs> all of us have things that went down for better or for worse. And so oftentimes the tricky part of adult life, at least a well-integrated adult life, is unpackaging some of that mess and realizing and being aware of how that impacts our life as adult as adults today. And then once we come to that knowledge, then it's a decision of like, okay, so what do I do in response to that? Because I feel like most people without that self-reflection, they're just kind of at the mercy of what had happened, how it impacts your life, and they just sort of like buckle into these knee-jerk reactions for the rest of their adult years. Um, but a, a truly sort of integrated, reflective life is one that says, wait, I, I, I want to start looking into this. I want to start peering into this mess, this hole, and be like, okay, why why am I acting and thinking that way? Okay, and let's get to the bottom of that. Okay, and now how do I respond to that? For the sake of not only myself, my own well-being, but my marriage, my children, the work that I do. Because I guarantee you, every like crazy story we hear about in the 24-hour news cycle, somewhere down the line, it's a person who didn't deal. And so when you don't deal, bad things happen. When you don't address the wounds in your life, you start bleeding over people. When you mm -hmm. don't acknowledge that there's something that needs healing, then you pretend like everything's okay, but it's not. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> you know. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> See you, man. And I mean, granted, there's a there's a social element of like, I, I just don't want to tell this person what's going on in my life. I don't feel like we have that kind of relationship. Sure, there's a, a social yeah, etiquette yeah. piece to like, I just don't feel like going there. However, if that's always sort of the response without ever dealing with, A, actually, no, things are terrible. Ha! Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, my life is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming, going, did you? <laughs> everything's everything's going to crap. But yeah, everything, we're good. We're good. Cool, cool. We're good. Yeah, it's an invitation for everyone to just realize it's okay that we're not okay. 
but we need to do something about it, right? Because as the saying goes, yeah. it's not it's not weakness to acknowledge that something is off in our lives. It's weakness to see that there is something off and we do nothing about it. Yeah. 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 I love the, I mean, like you said, the, the new kind of emphasis that we have this day and age of mental health is a good thing, certainly. I mean, better that than have what we had maybe a decade or two ago where mental health struggles were, were taboo and they were under the table and no one talked about them openly. So there wasn't this ability to seek out supports that were healthy and, and, and in a good way. But I think that the danger with that sometimes is um, uncovering the wounds or, you know, scratching off the scab, I guess, but not having a great sense of why or where to go from here. You know, um, there's the the kind of, you know, cliche out there, um, which is true in one sense, the hurt people hurt people, right? So mm-hmm. if, if I'm wounded, if I'm hurting, then like you said, there's this tendency to bleed all over everyone else to, to make other people feel my hurt, hoping that it'll diminish the hurt in me. Um, I think that the deeper truth that I've seen, and I, I assume that you're, you're kind of speaking to as well, is um, there's this really important step in, in the middle that kind of cuts off that cycle that we're all hurt. So it's not merely the people who have been hurt are doing the hurting. Like, like you said, there's trauma in everyone's life, big T, little T. We've all been hurt. And in the midst of that hurt, the, the one who was hurt on the cross wants to come in and he has things to say about that pain and about the purpose of suffering, you know, which <laughs> as, as a father, who experiences a good amount of suffering on a daily basis, uh, most of it inflicted by whiny toddlers, which is one of the least forms of suffering in the world. And I totally understand that. Um, But I I say that to say I struggle with actually giving my suffering to Jesus at times. It's easy for me to get really sorry for myself, a lot of self-pity to beat myself up when I don't respond the way I want to. Um, and even in that, I mean, even that kind of hurt, there's this invitation to invite Christ in to heal the whole person, like you were talking about, you know, um, to mm-hmm. to not just talk about mental health for the sake of diminishing symptoms, but to talk about health for the sake of truly offering people a full and abundant life, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So speaking of that, I mean, uh, a lot of your work and your ministry is about helping lead people to a full life. You know, um, Jesus himself tells us really clearly that he came to give us life and that we would have it abundantly. And, you know, obviously this isn't just, you know, a, a, a boat and whatever new Tesla Elon comes out with next month. This is not material prosperity gospel stuff. So what's, what would your description be of, of what it means to live a full life, to be, to be that whole person, to be integrated, to be following in the footsteps of Christ? Well, I, I think we begin to understand the answer to that question when we look at the lives of the saints mm. who figured it out, they, they, they figured out the algorithm for what makes for a full life. And I think most of us have a hard time figuring out that algorithm because in one sense, it's very radical. It's very radically different than what the world offers us in terms of a life that is full right in our world it's you know like you said you mentioned you know prosperity gospel have the nice toys and the nice things have the the pretty wife and the 
2.5 kids in the white picket fence or whatever, <laughs> right. um, have your 401k packed up and, you know, have some notoriety and fame and then maybe you'll be somebody. And then God's like, uh, actually when you die, you bring nothing with you. Mm. <laughs> you'll be judged according to how you loved me and how you loved your neighbor. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the saints, they're very interesting because there's so many things that obviously distinguish them, differentiate them based on their lives, their upbringings, their history, their, the ways that they serve God, the, um, the ways they reflected something of the mystery of God. Each, each of them did it differently, but the underlying things that united all of them are pretty observable. They they loved the Lord intensely. They loved the Eucharist. They loved Our Lady. They loved the poor. They really tapped into that virtue of humility to, on an elite level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a hard one. That's that's a hard virtue. Yeah. And humility isn't saying I'm a piece of crap. I'm a piece of garbage. It's saying I know my place before God, and therefore. I realize I can't do zilch without him. And that's not hyperbole. That's just pure reality for these people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the humility isn't like, oh, I got to think like I'm, I, I got to think less of myself. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm an amoeba. I'm a, I'm a nothing burger. No, it's more like you just think of yourself less. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's like, no, our life is a gift, but at the same time, God wants us to think about ourselves less. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is the hard which is the hard process to do dying to self taking up your cross and when you see the fruit of these saints lives which was joy a supernatural joy that attracted people because they had figured something out that they didn't that most people didn't understand at least innately right you have like the saint francis's of the world who people were just like this person's a psycho yeah but right they're like wait but they're joyful why <laughs> what what he has nothing he looks like a bum why is he happy right yeah you have people like mother Teresa, who ironically and even with her i mean she's a she's a whole nother enigma because it turns out that for like decades she experienced great spiritual darkness right she felt like an atheist most of her life yeah and yet she still pressed on i mean she suffered intensely but that was part of the unique cross that god allowed in her life and yet, even unbeknownst to herself, like God was radiating joy through her. And that's a whole nother talk for another day. But, yeah, you know, the good news here is that none of us are perfect, but God is. And he's able to use imperfect, broken instruments such as myself and every one of us to accomplish wonderful things in this world. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's working it out for our good. And... To the degree that we check in all of our baggage prior to, you know, liftoff, namely the moment of our death, the better off we'll be because then Hmm. we can check out of purgatory or not even go there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea. Uh, But that's the key, right? Is The goal isn't to have no baggage because that's just the, the, unfortunately, the, the human experience that we've been given. It's about offering all of our baggage to Christ and and checking it in, you know, of of giving everything that we have for him. And I I just love that relationship between uh, abundance and joy, you know, that that joy is the yeah. proof of a life fully lived that um 
you know, the, the, the best evangelists out there, yourself included, are always the ones that are authentic witnesses of joy because, you know, someone um, telling lots of truth can still make people walk away thinking, why in the world would I believe that stuff? Look at how miserable that person is, you know, um, but giving people an authentic witness of joy. I, I was just talking to a group of high schoolers last night about um, a community of poor Claire sisters that I knew in Kokomo, Indiana, of all places, middle of nowhere, Indiana. Um, and they were under papal enclosure. So literally they were cloistered poor Claire nuns. They would uh, you know, be consecrated with final vows and they would never leave that building again. They'd be in the monastery or in the garden for the rest of their lives there. No one could go in cause it was papal enclosure. So they would never hug their family or any of their friends ever again once they were in wow. there. Um, and we would bring our confirmation youth to the monastery to go meet the sisters and to learn about their life and religious life in general, but especially their particular charisms. And the kids would walk away from the monastery uh, saying two things. Number one, their knee jerk kind of human reaction was I could never do that, which for a 16 year old is fine. That's a normal human reaction. It's like right. you were saying, it's, it's the opposite end of the world from their experience day to day, you know? But the second thing they always would say is what in the world are they so happy about? Like they, they could not fathom a life without TV, Instagram, TikTok, your car, Starbucks, they couldn't fathom a life like that with a smile on their face. And these these nuns were some of the happiest people that I've ever been around in my entire life. And they were just beautifully authentic. They were beautifully joyful. And even in the midst of their self-chosen poverty, their vow of poverty, they lived this great life of abundance, you know? And it was it was beautiful for all the youth that grow up and whether they ever, whether they become religious or not, that, that image of abundance in the midst of physical material lack was, was a really beautiful witness for them, I think. And, um, it's been something that I still will take with me as well, that in, in whatever kind of worldly lacks I perceive in my life in terms of, you know, I wish that our house was like this instead of the way it is, or I wish that, our stupid van would actually work today or whatever the case is, you know, um, Hmm. that there's a sense of abundance and joy that can come even in the midst of kind of worldly suffering, difficulty, and even a a sense of poverty in some ways, you know? Um, Yeah. What kind of ways, I guess, have you seen that kind of joy in your life? Are there certain people, certain um, circumstances that you've gone through where you've witnessed that kind of abundance, that kind of joy in others? I mean, yeah, I've, I, I've been blessed to know so many people who exhibit this kind of supernatural joy, um, even amidst the trials and the struggles of their life. Um, I get glimpses of it too in my own life, thanks be to God. But then a lot of days, and this is a sobering reality, is that, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done in my, in my life, in my soul, in my, in my interior life, as I mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, God has a, a real way of allowing us to, to understand our poverty. But what's interesting is he took on poverty, right? We're coming, we're rolling up to Advent and, you know, Christ, he could have come as an adult, lightning bolts, you know, the full fury of heaven, like unleashed and people just by default, just crumbling to the ground and fear and just submitting. And no, he comes as a baby. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) He's born in a, 
porta potty for animals in their cafeteria <laughs> simultaneously. You know, he he reduces himself to such dependence that he would be born of a virgin, a woman, our lady, where if he wasn't taken care of for more than a day as a newborn, he would die. You know, he was literally at the mercy of all of the spirit, the parameters of human existence, right? Because he was true God, but he was true man. He took on our humanity hundred percent. Right. Uh, and, you know, but he favored this thing of poverty and this is what St. Francis found so very interesting. He was such a weirdo. No offense, St. Francis, but he even like, he personified this virtue. He called her Lady Poverty. And it was like this, this damsel that he was like pursuing because he found it so very attractive because that the Son of God took on poverty to such a degree and he became nothing so that we could participate in his everything, right? He, God becomes man right. so that man can become God, right? right. As we're taken up in his, into his divine life. And, and so it's, it's interesting because like all of us on a, you know, on a daily basis, maybe a weekly, monthly basis, depending on who you are, we get really clear glimpses of our poverty, and we're not just talking financial here. We're talking spiritual, mental, emotional, relational. Yeah. I mean, all of us are subject to like good days and bad days. Sometimes we're at the mercy of our feelings, you know, at the mercy of things that are triggered, especially during the holidays when you're with parents or siblings or whatever, you know, things happen. Right. And then we just come to this realization that, wow, I, I'm still not there yet. But the good news is that's okay. And furthermore, we have a God who once again became nothing so that we could participate in his everything, who became mm-hmm. poor so that we could become rich, who became like us in all things except sin so that he could show us the way to the Father. That's beautiful. Just that that kind of um, the the ways that our reflection of God in those virtues and the fruits of the spirit that you were talking about, that our reflection of God is exactly what God desires in us and for us. And it's for our good, right? I mean, God wants nothing more than our flourishing and our fullness of life. And God knows better than we do that the only way we're going to flourish is if we look more like him and if we allow yeah. him to fill us with himself to live out that life, you know, it's, it's just, it's one of the many ways that I'm really grateful for God's willingness to, to have dreams for my life that are even bigger and more beautiful than my own dreams for my life because yeah. he, he knows what's best for me and he's able to give me the grace to fulfill those dreams. And my yeah. dreams are small and I can't do it myself, you know? <laughs> Totally. And I think going back to that example of, you know, the kids who saw those sisters in the cloister, I think they're, they're literally a human experiment for us to say that these sisters have literally, for lack of better terms, they've voluntarily locked themselves up, taken away all these creature comforts. And what are they, what are they left with? Well, I'm not sure exactly if I'm not really privy to their life as a religious, but let's see the fruits of it. Oh crap, they're smiling. Why are yeah. they joyful? What do they have in there? Are they doing drugs? Like, no, they're, do- <laughs> they're doing the Eucharist every day. They're smoking incense. 
the incense that comes from the thurible. They're, they're, they're not getting high on anything except the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They're finding fulfillment and denying themselves. What the crap? What is going on? And yeah. you see, it's, it's like literally we're looking into this strange bubble, this self-voluntary bubble that allows them to chase the things of God. And so it's a real shot in the arm for spectators, people who visit the little museum or the, the little, the, the little, uh, <laughs> I'm running yeah, out of analogies right. here. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The holy fish tank. I don't know. I, I, I'm just drawing <laughs> blanks now. And we're looking at these creatures, you know, these, these daughters of God who are totally sold out and they're happy and they're joyful. And now we're all confused. Mm. And now we're thinking about our own lives going, what do they have that I don't? And yeah. if you boil it down, what they have is very simple. They just have this intensely focused life on God and the things that actually matter. And that's helping them to look more like him. And that's why God willing, if they live that well, it is such a powerful witness for the rest of us who are on the outside. So, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. My, the, the, one of my favorite sisters there, um, was a former division one women's basketball player as well. So, so add that to the mix. Now you've got a bunch of 16 year olds who, you know, in all the things that the world tells them will give them the joy that we're talking about. Sports is one of the main things, right? Like if, if you are a peak athlete at whatever your passion is, you will find fulfillment in the fame and the money that comes from sports, whether it's a scholarship or a, a professional contract, whatever. And this, this young, beautiful poor Claire Nunn is up there telling all of our high schoolers about how five years ago she left her division one scholarship on the table. She wow. left college because she knew that the Lord was calling her to something even more beautiful. And it just, like you said, that it, it comes off first of all as abject insanity for these high schoolers, but then it led to most of them for this really beautiful sense of curiosity that you're describing. Like how I've been told that all the things that she is willingly given up are the things that lead to joy. She has given them up and yet she is joyful. So something doesn't mm -hmm. compute there. What, right. what does that mean for my life? You know, it just, what a beautiful yeah. reflection. Yeah. And I think too, it, it challenges us then, you know, like we're both husbands and dads. It's like, all right, right, how do we compute this? How do we chop this up and, and, and try to integrate into our own lives? Okay. You know, if you think about it, like even you, Pat, you, you and your wife are a bit of a contradiction. You have seven kids. Why would you do that to yourself? You know, think about it. <laughs> we, no, like, we've heard I mean, that. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm sure you've heard that. You see it. You see people counting your kids as they walk into a store, and they're looking at you like, what are you guys thinking? You yeah. know? And, and yeah, in, in a very, like, common world response, people are like, you guys are nuts. And, and we're not, that's not a compliment. They, they think you're, you're nuts. Yeah, because it's right. like, why would, why would you one, voluntarily do that to yourselves? Because one, the kids are expensive, they're needy. You're losing your freedoms to do whatever you want. Your mm -hmm. retirement's diminishing. You know, like whatever reason people would throw shade on you for having a big family, right? So, right. And I, I'm not trying to beat you, but I'm catching up, and I I really don't want to beat you, <laughs> to be quite honest. I got our we got our fifth baby on the way. But I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even there, I'm thinking, okay, wow, what an opportunity that we have too to be a contradiction, just like those poor Claire's. 
mm-hmm. to be a contradiction of one, God willing, and we all pray for this, obviously, but to be a husband who stays faithful and committed to his wife. Mm. Amen. Till the end, right? That That's a contradiction in our world. Second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, whatever. Don't matter. Right. Right? That's a, that's a witness. Okay. One kid, two kids, seven kids. That's a witness. <laughs> okay. So what I'm being super convicted about right now is if I'm a a crotchety, annoyed, just perpetually frustrated parent, that's not a good witness. That just confirms sure. the suspicions of the world. <laughs> right, right. So it's hard because one, yeah, it's hard because we fail all the time. We fall short. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if we're still showing up each day and saying, Lord, I can't do it, but you can do it in me. And God knows that he's allowing all of these difficulties and trials every day of our lives from the, from the, you know, the, the soiled diaper to the whining kid to, you know, all of the demands of family life, which we are very well aware of and how it grinds us to our last like sense of sanity. <laughs> but still there's grace and unbeknownst to ourselves through the process of the spin cycle, which uses friction to get the clothes clean, yep. we're becoming more like Christ, right? And actually going back to the poor Claire's, I mean, I, I have firsthand experience, if you will, living in community with other religious. Sure. And the, and the great mystery is like strangers, people will come up and be like, you brothers are so holy. Oh my gosh, you're, you're such saints. You're like St. Francis living in this world. I'm just so touched. <laughs> and the brothers, if they had any sense of humility, they'd look at each other and go, Lady, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> if only you'd live with us for a month, you'd find out <laughs> that we all go to confession. We all drive One of the each many other beauties up. of uh, the Poco a Poco podcast is them giving us a tiny glimpse into the reality of uh, uh, community life. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Those brothers are from the CFRs. And yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, like I said, I, I knew some of the holiest and best, best priests, best brothers I've ever met in my life. But there are some brothers who just annoy the crap out of you, right? There's a saying that in this world there are saints and there are saint makers. You know, (laughs) they're both and. And frankly, Mm -hmm. even the saints would annoy other people and vice versa. It's just like it happens because we're human. Yeah. So ironically, even for the poor clairs, I guarantee you that kind of dynamic is happening within their cloister walls and it's not easy. We, you know, hear about St. Therese who just driven mad by, you know, certain sisters who'd clack their rosaries too hard or would always have a stank (laughs) face every time they talked to her or just be so disagreeable and everything, you know. But through that process of the friction, the spin cycle, the the cleansing effect of having to be like Jesus when you don't feel like being Jesus, that is what enabled her to become a saint so very quickly in her 24 years of life. And so perhaps the good news here for us, a little takeaway, you know, for all those families out there, but even for ourselves, as we reflect on this is, man, there's a lot of material for us to become holy really quick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Every day. But the challenge, of course, is like, okay, how do I do it better? How, Mm. How do I get up when I screw up and I feel like I'm just failing? How do I begin again and see that God's not done with me? 
So it would just be an act of pride for me to be done with myself or to say, yeah, I'm just a crap dad or a crap husband. <laughs> it's like, no, right. uh, unless you choose to be, yes. But all of us are given this grace to begin again. And and so, yeah, it, it's, the, it's a mystery that God is present in our vocations. God is present in our lives to say, hey, I'm with you. I'm always ready to forgive you. Get back in the game. Begin again. Um, I can accomplish more in you than you can even imagine. That's what I did for the mm. saints. And we just show up, try our freaking best, and let God be the Savior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hopefully the fruit <laughs> is people see us and our big old families coming out of our buses <laughs> and being like, holy crap, they're happy. <laughs> they're smiling. They have something that I want. I don't know what it is because I don't want a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> must be more to it than that yeah right <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. oh gosh you know what that's such a great encouragement just um for for all of us to be considerate about the ways that god is able to use the really daily real tangible struggles of the day to make us into saints and like you i'm i'm constantly convicted and i'm maybe even more convicted after this conversation of the ways that I I can better respond to those moments and to not try to be a sour saint and make St. Therese really, or it's not Therese, Teresa, Teresa of Avila really angry, but to be a genuinely <laughs> joyful saint and to be God willing, a, a light on a lampstand and to, to show people the grace of God in my humble, sad little witness, you know, just such a beautiful opportunity for all of us. Yeah. Well, yeah. we, um, I mean, you and I could talk about this for about four hours, but uh, I won't make you do that because Lord knows you got four babies on the outside and one on the inside and right. uh, a bride yeah. as well that probably need your attention. So yeah. as we wrap up, so typically what we like to do is uh, give a challenge by choice to our good listeners out there, something that they can incorporate into their own lives to live out better this integration of sanity and sanctity to be led to heaven uh, through that integration. From our conversation, Paul, anything that comes to mind that someone out there might be able to do or consider for the next week or so? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, one encouragement, one thought is just going back to St. Therese. She saw the opportunity in little things as an opportunity to do something great for God, even if that meant scrubbing the floor, doing the dishes, eating the leftovers that nobody was eating, mm. smiling at the sister who drove her nuts being kind to the person she wanted to be really short with, um, seeing opportunities to do small things with great love. And I think, if anything, it sounds like just based on where our conversation has gone, it, maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting us to, to consider how can we do this very simple thing better, which is, um, yeah, having the, the spiritual insight to acknowledge that God is present in the day to day, you know, and he wants us to do those very simple things a little bit better each day. And even when we stumble and fall, we have to go back to confession for whatever reason. We just begin again joyfully because to beat ourselves up and to think, oh yeah, of course I'm a piece of garbage is really just pride. It's thinking that we should have been better than we were. (laughs) Right, right. But it's okay to be like, yeah, I, I, can, I can do literally zero without the Lord. Okay, hmm. let's go. 
<laughs> yeah. So right. <laughs> single single person, married person, parent, celibate, don't matter. It's it's all relevant. It's all relevant. The small the, things with great yeah, love. Small yeah. things with great love. Yeah, I would I would say that, man. And that would be my homework too. That's a beautiful challenge by choice. I appreciate that, Paul. Yeah. Well, um, why don't we uh, wrap up with a brief prayer, and then we'll send you back on your way to continue uh, this mission of joy and abundance in your life and mine and in uh, you listening out there. All right? Lord Jesus, we love you, and uh, we're so grateful for for your love, for your presence, for your call in our lives. Um, we're so humbled by the ways that you speak to each of us particularly, specifically, and that you lead us out of ourselves into love for you and love for those around us. And Lord, we ask you to meet us in, an, in our own particular circumstances today, that we might live lives of abundance that are filled with your grace, um, knowing that in our poverty, you are ready to meet us with your perfect providence and to give us exactly what we need to find abundant and joyful lives. So, Lord, please help us to have the joy of your saints. Help us to become saints ourselves, and we put ourselves in your hands to be made into the saints that you created us to be in the first place. We ask all this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Paul, Kim, it's been a blessing, my brother. Thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to talking to you again. Where can folks hear more about you or learn more about your good work, brother? Sure. They can find out more about my ministry at pjkmusic.com. Um, if they have social media, they can just look up my name, Paul J. Period Kim. So my middle initials, J. And they can find me on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. But yeah, I'm out there and pray for me. I, uh, I love what I do and I realize it's God's grace. <laughs> Amen, man. Yeah, we'll Amen. link up all that stuff in the show notes too so people can track you down. And uh, good. again, thanks for all you do. And you'll be in our prayers. Listeners thanks. out there, have a great time. We'll see you next time on This Whole Life. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com.